get started on a Friday, September 24th, 2021. It is 12.26 p.m. Coming at you guys from San Diego, California. It is BK here, of course. That's right, the rare Friday podcast. Please follow me on social media. Check out my Twitter, at Bravo Kilo Actual, and look at my Instagram, at BK Actual. Yeah, I got a few things going on this weekend, so I thought I'd uh, go ahead and do it on a Friday, but nothing else has changed, you guys. The steel trap mind remains as sharp as ever. The bronzed tan, a color not seen in nature other than on my body. The jacked pythons, they're all here for you with the two-and-a-half-hour monologue that nobody else is capable of doing and everybody knows it. So, uh, one quick note before I get started. I told you guys about that SOCOM podcast I did talking about the story of the whole kidney transplant with my donor, Scott, former Joint Special Operations Command pararescueman and combat controller and that is up so please go check it out as i said i'd love to beat jocko in the downloads so you can go to uh, any of socoms either their twitter or their instagram and look for that podcast and please at least hit it and check it out a little bit okay guys let's go ahead and get started with our international news and i thought i would begin in russia this story is a few days old but let's check it out anyway a law student who was armed with a shotgun killed at least six people at a Russian university. Uh, it was apparently an 18-year-old, and he went on that shooting spree. That was on Monday. He wounded 19 people, by the way. And uh, students described scenes of chaos. They barricaded themselves in classrooms, similar to what happens here often. Some people escaped by jumping from second-story windows. Police published a video showing hallways and a stairway covered in broken glass and blood. Now, the gunman did resist arrest, but was later wounded and taken into custody. Uh, a state news agency posted videos showing a slender man dressed in black clothing, a black helmet, and carrying a gun. He was identified as a student at Perm State University where the shooting took place, and that's about 650 miles east of Moscow. Now, I refreshed this story right before I began the podcast, and I still can't find a name. And like a lot of things, the media just kind of does a one-off, and then there's been no updates since this story. Now, while still rare, school shootings have become more common in Russia in recent years. The gunman in this case did obtain this shotgun legally in May, uh, however, this has been the second mass shooting at a Russian school this year. In May, a, an attacker killed seven students and two school employees in Kazan, another provincial Russian city. And uh, there were no initial indications of a political motive in the shooting. The Kremlin said the gunman was likely disturbed. Yeah, I would say so. Okay, well, we do have, although unofficial, we do have a name. Because a member of parliament, somebody named Alexander Kinstein, identified the gunman as 18-year-old Timur Bekmansurov, saying he was, yes, a law student at that university. A lengthy social media post attributed to the gunman went up shortly before the attack on Monday, and local media did publish. It was some sort of fucking manifesto stretching to several pages, which suggested a lifelong fascination with violence. The gunman did not hint at a political motive. The social media company they have over there, something called Vacantacte, blocked that account as of this week. 
uh, university spokesman Natalia Pesheceva initially said the attacker had been, quote, liquidated, end quote. However, that account has been revised. Apparently, he is in police custody. That campus has about 13,000 students. Um, they do have an alarm system to alert them to danger, but it wasn't activated because one of the gunman's first victims was a security guard near the entrance whose job it was to trigger that alert. Uh, so, yes, this, the, the gunman was shot and wounded. And, again, it's not the first time. There's been several worse ones. In 2018, at a college in Kerch, that is a town in Russian-occupied Crimea, 21 people were killed and 50 were wounded in a shooting. But, of course, you know the big one. By far the worst violence at a Russian school in recent history was the 2004 attack by Chechen terrorists in the city of Beslan. That one killed 186 children and 148 parents and teachers. And that was the one, remember when the, uh, the, uh, the, or the cops or army or whoever they were, just basically just started like burning the building down? And that's kind of why so many people died. If you didn't know about Russia's strict gun ownership laws, applicants for a firearm license must pass psychological exams and own a smoothbore shotgun for a trial period before obtaining a rifle. Remember, shotguns are not typically rifled. Pistol ownership is even more tightly controlled, largely limited to those such as retiring military officers who are given a pistol as an award for their service. As a matter of fact, after this most recent school shooting I mentioned earlier in May, President Vladimir Putin ordered a further tightening of Russia's laws on civilian gun ownership, raising the minimum age to buy a gun from 18 to 21. However, that rule has not yet taken effect. Hence, this 18-year-old was able to get a weapon. So that is your Russia update. Let's go to La Palma and this crazy fucking volcano that's going on with this lava flow. It's all over social media. The, it's just, you know, it's just these lava flows are fascinating to me because it's like nothing. There's nothing you can do about it. There's absolutely no force on earth that can stop a lava flow. If you didn't know, La, uh, La Palma is one of the Spanish Canary Islands. And so far, it's destroyed hundreds of homes, forced the evacuation of thousands of people, and prompting all kinds of warnings of explosions. And just before, again, the, I did the podcast, uh, I was looking, and the volcano is still going off over there. This eruption, by the way, the first major eruption in La Palma in 50 years, began on Sunday. And they think this lava might continue to spew out for weeks. So far, well, as of like two days ago, they said about 320 houses on the island of La Palma, by the way, that's off the coast of northwestern Africa, had been engulfed by fire and lava. Some 6,000 residents have been evacuated and a few other homes remained at risk. Despite all this, there have been no reports of deaths or injuries so far, which is a minor miracle. And now they are trying to like basically divert the lava flow. Like That's about the only thing you can do. So they're like digging ravines, like trenches, to hopefully the lava goes into the trench, you know, and goes around other stuff. But they don't know how long it's going to last. Now, they had an eruption there in 1971. That eruption lasted about three weeks. And another major danger, this is interesting, 
is the blasts that happen if the lava flow reaches the ocean. Because as the water expands explosively into jets of steam, it can fragment the lava into this really fine-grained ash. And another concern is the possible release of toxic gases from reactions between the lava and the seawater. So they have a lot of seismic activity in La Palma and that whole archipelago of the Canary Islands because it does sit on this volcanic hotspot. It's, it's very closely monitored by scientists and it's been under especially close scrutiny since 2017 and that's when seismic activity intensified there and that's usually a sign that you're about to have a friggin' eruption. Uh, the I'm just looking over here. Since Tuesday this week, the lava's advance towards the ocean has been slowed by flatter terrain, but local authorities declared a two nautical mile exclusion zone in the waters around the island in case that volcanic activity sets off those underwater explosions because they don't want to like damage uh, shipping or anybody just off the coast. Uh, what else about this? Anything about the history of... Oh, I'm looking at aerial photographs. It's freaking crazy. Yeah, there's, there's like one house. I don't know if you guys saw this. There's like, so if you look at the volcano, I'm looking at a picture right now, and you basically just see a sea of dried like lava that's flowed down, but miraculously it all stopped and ran around one house. So you see this like tiny little blip of a house with trees still standing and everything else is just black dried lava. Fucking lucky guy right there. Let us go to Ukraine. And there was a assassination attempt on a top advisor to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. And the advisor was shot at on Wednesday while driving his car outside Kiev, Ukraine. And they are describing this as an assassination attempt. Now, the advisor is a guy named Serhii Shefir. He was not injured. However, the driver of the car was wounded and hospitalized. And if you go on social media, you can see a picture of the driver's side of the car. It's a black Audi, and it's just sprayed with bullets. So this occurred while Zelensky was in New York for the UN General Assembly meeting that happened this week. As a matter of fact, he used his speech to denounce the attack, speak out against Russia's military intervention in eastern Ukraine, and rally diplomatic backing for Kiev. So the Ukrainian president, who returned home immediately after his speech, did say that the hospitalized driver, who was hit by three gunshots, was out of danger. He's expected to make it. Zelensky did not specifically blame Russia for the attack, but he did yell about Russia. Again, this all goes back to that seizure of the Crimean Peninsula, and he wants support for the, uh, you know, his fight against Russia, and he wants support for the uh, his his army against those separatists in eastern Ukraine. If you didn't, you know, the fighting's been going on there. It's been like a low key kind of war, right? But still, it's been going on for eight years now, and it's claimed thousands of lives. It's very v seldom mentioned here, of course. Uh, Shafir, the guy who they were targeting, he's 57 years old. He's a longtime advisor to Zelensky. And 
Yeah, together with his brother and Zelensky in 2003, they founded something called Kavartol 95, a television production company that produced numerous popular shows. And that's how Zelensky, remember, he's a former comedian, to nationwide fame. And then in 2019, Zelensky used his popularity to win the presidency. The shooting occurred again near this uh, just small village outside Kiev. There were no suspects and nobody has been arrested in the immediate aftermath of the attack. Uh, anything else here? Remember, since war broke out in 2014 between Ukraine and separatist forces backed by the Kremlin, there have been numerous assassinations carried out by uh, on Ukrainian territory, which targets those senior military and intelligence officials, as well as journalists and dissidents. Now, some of these attacks have been attributed to criminal rivalries and gangland violence, but they do think many of them, according to Ukrainian law enforcement, are the work of assassins associated with Russia's intelligence services. Uh, yeah, these guys are tight. They're neighbors, actually, as well. And as soon as Zelensky won that presidency, he put a bunch of his show business buddies in key leadership posts, and indeed, Sheffier says that uh, they, they're very tight. As a matter of fact, Sheffield says he walks Zelensky's dog a lot of time whenever he's gone. So they, these guys go way back. All right. Let us go to the Guantanamo trial. Yeah. Kind of, you guys know I pop in and out of this every once in a while. Well, a military judge on Thursday began hearing secret testimony about hidden microphones allegations of eavesdropping and other government interference in the work of defense lawyers in the case of a Saudi man who is accused of masterminding the bombing of the Navy destroyer, the USS Cole, in the year 2000. About 85 witnesses, all but one identified, were being called to testify over eight days on the issue, which has been a major impediment to getting the actual trial underway since before even that 600-day hiatus in court proceedings caused by the coronavirus pandemic. And then, of course, the coronavirus pandemic, before that, it just dragged out for years, and judges came and went, and nobody could ever fucking unfuck it because it's just a complete mess. And, as you know, in my opinion, it's, it's a total joke. We've had these guys in Guantanamo for well over a decade, and we can't even get a trial started. So the questioning was just kind of like a, a brief session. The defendant, the guy who's being accused, is named Abd al-Rahim al-Nashiri. And the army judge at this time, until he fucking quits probably, is Colonel Lanny Acosta Jr. And Acosta Jr. asked Nashiri if he understood that he did not have to attend these open hearings, but he did indeed attend them. So the hearing is basically about how two recording devices ended up in a confidential legal meeting where Nashiri convened with his lawyer for more than three years and whether prosecutors deliberately misled the war court on that matter. So they basically think, uh, yeah, they were, they were listening in on him. The government people, our government. And this kind of uh, grew about when Nashiri and his lawyers 
and his defense team investigator unscrewed a light switch plate from a wall in their meeting in 2017 and discovered a listening device hidden behind it. Uh, that episode prompted three long-standing defense lawyers to abruptly quit the case after an earlier military judge forbade them from telling Nishiri about the discovery and seeking a potential ethics waiver because the recording system was classified. So... The defense lawyers are now accusing prosecutors of misconduct over their handling of this. And they are claiming that the prosecutors doctored documents to say that the microphone was inoperable. And the defense also claims they discovered the changes in unedited evidence that prosecutors turned over in 2020 after a court order. Now, prosecutors in the case have consistently denied any wrongdoing. Um... And now the defense lawyers are calling all of these witnesses, and they include former prison guards, contractors, military lawyers, and all the rest. Now, Nashiri, he's 56 years old, the defendant. He is being accused of orchestrating al-Qaeda's suicide bombing of the USS Cole during a port visit to Aden, Yemen, in the year 2000. 17 of our sailors died. His is one of the two capital cases in the military commission's system alongside the attempt to prosecute five detainees who were arraigned in 2012 on charges of aiding the September 11th attacks. And since then, it's been a black hole of hearing after hearing before they even got to trial. This was Nashiri's first court appearance since January 2020. The 39 men currently held at Guantanamo, spent much of the first year more of the pandemic in isolation with no visits from their lawyers and limited access to other prisoners and army guards to prevent an outbreak. Uh, what else? <laughs> this is funny. And the coronavirus is still fucking this up. The proceedings were canceled on Wednesday of this week after true prosecutors who had participated in the case from a courtroom annex in Crystal City developed symptoms of the coronavirus. Well, well, so what? They're, so they're in a remote courtroom. They're not on Guantanamo. So that is dumb. Oh, God. Uh, anyway, this article's fascinating. Defense lawyers have described a pattern of suspected eavesdropping on confidential attorney-client communications. Um, and in December 2013, Nashiri told his lawyers that the cell where they had been meeting since 2008 had been part of a secret CIA prison where he had been held in off-the-books detention in 2003 to 2004. And additionally, lawyers had discovered that a device that resembled a smoke detector in this meeting compound known as Camp Echo was, in fact, a listening device. So prosecutors then brought military commanders in to testify in open court that nobody was listening to the conversations between the detainees and the lawyers. Hmm. Um, what else here? Anyway, it's, it's really long, you guys. I'm going to leave it there because i got a ton of other stuff to get to. But, uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is pretty insane. Let us go to the Taliban. And uh, this is funny. This headline, Taliban complete... Interim government still without women. Yeah, I'm shocked that the Taliban didn't put any women in there. Yes, the Taliban have shockingly refused to bow to the demands of the United Nations and the international community to include women in our cabinet. And 
announcing that interim government with a lineup that was entirely male and kept members of the Taliban's old guard in the top echelon of the leadership. Now, they did give a few of those jobs to ethnic minorities, including Tajiks, Uzbeks, and a Hazara. But those small numbers and the lack of women appeared likely to hamstring the government's efforts to secure funding from donors. The Taliban dismissed the demand for diversity. <laughs> and they want recognition from the United Nations. Uh, a government spokesman, the guy, the, the government spokesman of the Taliban, uh, that is Zabahullah Mujadid. He said, quote, It is the responsibility of the United Nations to recognize our government for other countries, including European, Asian, and Islamic countries, to have diplomatic relations with us. End quote. Mujahid, Mujahid also said that ethnicity did not matter to the new government, although he did note those ethnic minorities I mentioned previously. Um, what else? Now, remember, Afghanistan, if you didn't know, is a Pashtun country mostly, but it has large minorities of Tajik, Uzbeks, and Hazara ethnicities, as well as some Turkmen. Each has its own language, although many people also speak Dari or Pashto. And many, according to the UN Security Council, of the new government, do cont it contains many of the same figures who are part of the Taliban leadership from 1996 to 2001. Yeah, so they all just came right back around. Um, the interim interior minister, defense minister, is a guy named Muhammad Yakub. He is the son of Mullah Omar. You guys remember that name. That is, of course, the Taliban's founding leader. And a lot of those guys, again, are from that original Taliban that took over the country in 1994. So now, what else about this? No, no government has formally recognized the Taliban. That's why they're demanding kind of this. And... It's, it will make it difficult for the Taliban's Afghan government to receive donor money from the World Bank or Asian Development Bank and through the United Nations. It also makes it really tough for any country that does business with the United States to do business with Afghanistan without running the risk of being hit by the United States' secondary sanctions regime. That punishes those who give money or items of value to governments or individuals on U.S. sanctions list. So it might be hard... Um, for them to do. Let's go to Australia where they had an earthquake. A magnitude 5.9 earthquake hit southeast Australia on Wednesday morning. That damaged buildings and forced hospitals to evacuate staff members and patients. They say this is an unusually large quake in a country less susceptible to major earthquakes than neighboring countries. Uh, there have not been any reports of serious injuries or death. But this is considered the largest onshore earthquake in the state of Victoria in recorded history. And it's the largest land earthquake in all of Australia since 2016 when a 6.1 magnitude earthquake hit the Northern Territory. But this wake, the, the quake this week was powerful enough to collapse the walls of building in Melbourne, leading residents to flee apartments and everything else. 
and it did uh, hit around 9.15 a.m. and was felt as far away as South Australia. But yes, small earthquakes are not unusual in Australia, but this one uh, is unusual for the power they have. Australia sits in the middle of a tectonic plate, making it less susceptible to major earthquakes in countries on fault lines like New Zealand, Indonesia, and you guys remember the earthquakes that happened with those that were totally devastating. Now, speaking of Australia, boy, they're going through some crazy protests right now. Did you see all the? Did you see all the stuff on social media? It's fucking. Nuts. It's like a. It's like a t- dictatorship over there. And now they had a big construction worker protest, and they're out there in the streets. They all were wearing their like reflective vests, and they're out there. And this is all about mandatory vaccines. And it's been a few days in a row now where these construction workers in Melbourne clashed violently with the police. And they had up to 2,000 protesters. They descended into the city's central business district. You could see workers hurling bottles at the police while officers in riot gear fired rubber bullets and used pepper spray. One TV journalist said he had urine thrown in his face. (laughs) Gross. Yeah, they began after the state government in Victoria where Melbourne is the largest city, mandated vaccinations for workers as they try to contain an outbreak of the Delta variant. Now, the union representing construction workers has not supported mandatory vaccinations, but they have distanced itself from the protests, saying that the protests have been heavily infiltrated by neo-Nazis and other right-wing extremist groups. Construction has been among the few industries that have largely stayed open throughout the pandemic in Victoria. But the authorities think now those construction sites are a hotbed for coronavirus transmission. And then media reported last week that three out of four construction sites were breaching virus safety rules. So they started mandating vaccinations for workers in the industry. Imagine telling a guy who's like fucking leaning on a jackhammer. In the middle of the day. Oh, yeah, you got to wear a mask while you do that. Oh, and nobody can be within 10 feet of you. It's ridiculous. Uh, So, yes, as of Tuesday afternoon, the police said they had made 44 arrests and that three officers had been uh, injured, and that's sure to grow. Like I said, the police did break up those lockdown protests with non-lethal rounds and tear gas. They had more than 200 people arrested also. Uh, yes, again, I'm re- I just looked at another tab and the Guardian is deeply concerned that this rally has a- appeared to have been hijacked by far-right extremists, including anti-vaccination groups. <laughs> so anti-vaccination groups are now far-right extremists, apparently. Yeah, there's uh, great stuff all over the um, social media. So I encourage you to go check that out. Let's go to the UK. Here's a trivia question, you guys. I know you know this. This one's not that hard. Come on. Who is Sergei Skripal? Well, if you had guessed that he was the guy that they tried to kill with the nerve agent in the UK, you would be correct. You remember this case? I I, I covered it quite heavily at the time. But British counterterrorism police, this is in the news because they announced criminal charges against a senior Russian military intelligence official this week for the attempted assassination of 
that former Russian spy, Sergei Skripal, who was poisoned in England in 2018 with that nerve agent. So the police officer, the police actually identified this uh, military intelligence officer by his real name, Denis Sergeyev, instead of the alias he used to enter the UK on March 2nd, 2018. That entry was two days before the former Russian spy, Sergei Skripal, and his daughter, Yulia, collapsed on that park bench in the English town of Salisbury. Sergeyev is the third officer to be charged in a poisoning of Skripal. Months after the poisoning, British authorities charged two officers, identified by the aliases Ruslan Borshirov and Alexander Petrov, with carrying out the attack by applying that nerve agent known as Novichok to the doorknob at Skripal's home in Salisbury. Now, all three of these guys being accused are members of Unit 29155, a division within Russia's military intelligence agency known as the GRU that specializes in sabotage and assassination. Now, the charges in this case come the same day that the European Court of Human Rights ruled that Russia was responsible for the 2006 killing of another former intelligence officer. That would be Alexander Litvinenko. He had been poisoned when Russian operatives put a radioactive isotope in his tea at a London hotel. Dude, this is some, like, spy shit here. Uh, so, yes, that really awoke the Western security establishment to the type of spycraft they're dealing with under President Vladimir Putin. And the second one, the Novichok one, showed that such covert actions had become Kremlin policy. So they believed the motivation for all of these attacks appeared to be revenge. Uh, Mr. Litvinenko was a former operative in Russia's domestic intelligence service, the FSB, formerly known as the KGB. He had fled to London after blowing the whistle on what he described as corruption and criminality in the service when it was overseen by Mr. Putin before he became president in the year 2000. And then Skripal arrived in England in 2010 after a spy swap between the U.S. and Russia. He had been recruited by British intelligence while stationed as a GRU officer in Spain in the 1990s, and then he was arrested for espionage in 2006 in Moscow. Yeah, very uh, very black ops stuff here. It's uh, pretty cool. Remember the Novichuk nerve agent that was used on Skripal? That was also used last year to poison Alexei Naval Navalny. You guys remember him? That was the Putin critic who was going to run for president again. Instead, he got imprisoned in March after returning to Russia from Germany where he had gone for medical treatment because of that poisoning. Western intelligence services say it was the FSB, not the GRU, that carried out that attack. And there's all kinds of uh, surveillance photos here. This is like some cool shit right, right here, man. Uh, Skripal and his daughter are... They did survive, by the way. I should, I should point that out. Very good. I love this stuff. Uh, let's see. How about the Canadian election? That's right. The Canadian election happened and blackface Justin Trudeau did prevail. So uh, Trudeau had called the vote, remember, 
to regain the majority in the House of Commons that he had lost in 2019. Uh, Mr. Trudeau's liberals stood at 156 seats in Parliament as of Monday. That is one fewer than it acquired in 2019. While the Conservative Party had 121 seats, that's the same as they had before. He was running, was Trudeau, against that guy, Aaron O'Toole. He became the Conservative leader just over a year ago. He took the party in a new, more moderate direction to broaden its appeal. Uh, He... One of the example of that, during the campaign, he reversed, did O'Toole, with a condition, a much-publicized promise to repeal Trudeau's ban on 1,500 models of military-style assault rifles. But, yeah, they don't, uh, but, but he, lost, he ended up losing. So, what about this uh, backlash over the uh, election? Because this was like an early, it's like a special election. Um. They, they didn't care for it, but this is what they wanted to do. And they think they will see more elections like this one in which the major parties trade a small number of seats without substantially altering their positions relative to each other. So that's it, the Canada election. Now, I do have an audio clip here, which is kind of unrelated to the Canadian election, but I just thought it was funny. Here is Justin Trudeau completely botching the LGBT acronym, and this was going around. I just thought it was funny. So let's listen to Trudeau. I will never apologize for standing up for an LGDP, LGT, LBT, LGBTQ2 plus uh, kids' <laughs> rights. To uh, that, to that, that's no good. You can't be woke and botch that. What's 2 plus, by the way? I don't know what that means. 2 plus? Just stick. Can we just stick with LGBT? I can't keep up with it all. I just can't. Let's see. Let's go to Rwanda. And this is the trial of Paul Rusesabagina. Remember, he was the guy who was portrayed in that Oscar-nominated movie, Hotel Rwanda. Well, he was on trial. He's been found guilty this week of forming and funding a group that carried out terrorist attacks in Rwanda and has been sentenced to 25 years in prison. This case has drawn international condemnation after government officials boasted about having tricked him into returning to Rwanda. He was once praised for sheltering more than 1,200 people in the hotel he managed during the genocide in Rwanda in 1994 that killed as many as 1 million people. And again, I'll recommend that book, uh, The Machete Season. If you want to learn more about the genocide in Rwanda, it's it's a, it's basically a lot of interviews with the guys who actually were out there with the machetes, like hacking people. Like they interviewed them from prison. Very, uh, it's just uh, unbelievable what happened over there. So he did. Rusesa Bajina did gradually become one of the most high-profile critics of Rwanda's longtime leader Paul Kagame. He would call out the president for his increasingly repressive rule. Kagame, in turn, accused him of profiting from invented stories about his heroism and of financing armed rebel groups to overthrow his government. And uh, Rusesa Bajina was tried along with 20 other defendants. Uh, he's 67 years old. And the heart of the case against him was his leadership role in the Rwanda Movement for Democratic Change, a coalition of opposition groups in exile. 
and they have an armed wing called the National Liberation Front, and the government is accusing them of being responsible for attacks inside Rwanda that killed nine people in 2018. Uh, and it, interestingly enough, Rusesa Bajina had been living in Texas last year when he was deceived by Rwandan government operatives into getting on a plane in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates that ended up taking him to Kigali. That's the capital of Rwanda. And he was initially denied access to attorneys. He was held in solitary confinement. And according to him, he was tortured in a secret detention center. The government of Belgium, where he is a citizen, and the U.S., where he is a permanent resident, criticized the trial process and statements. And it's unclear if we're going to do anything about it. Just a quick recap. He was the manager of the Hotel des Mille Collines in Kigali. It's a, it was considered a luxurious hotel in 1994 when militias of the Hutu ethnic group began a slaughter that targeted the ethnic Tutsis. So he turned the hotel into a haven for 1,268 Tutsis and moderate Hutus, and he would use cash, alcohol, and diplomacy to fend off the would-be killers. So after the genocide, fearing for his safety, he sought political asylum in Belgium. And he also won the Presidential Medal of Freedom from President George W. Bush in 2005. He wrote a memoir called An Ordinary Man, and that's where he really uh, irritated Kigali. Because he wrote that Mr. Kagame governed Rwanda for the benefit of a small group of elite Tutsis and that the Central African nation had a cosmetic democracy in a hollow system of justice. So, after a series of threats and home intrusions to his home in Brussels, he took off to San Antonio, Texas. And then in August of last year, he flies to Dubai. He gets on a private jet with a guy named Konstantin Neo Wangiri, a pastor whom he has called his friend and who said had invited him to speak in churches in Burundi, which is the neighbor of Rwanda. But as a matter of fact, that Constantine guy was an agent for Rwandan intelligence and had been all part of a setup to lure Rusesabagina to Rwanda. Yeah. And so that private jet then landed in Kigali and he was tied up, blindfolded, and arrested. Crazy story. So this guy posed, so this secret agent guy posed as a pastor. And he must have posed as a pastor for a long time for Rusesa Bajina to call him his friend. I mean, this is, again, spycraft here. Okay, how about something uh, a little bit more amusing here? Let us go to the, where is this? Wales. Uh, the UK, and uh, they're having a trial over there for a care worker named Rebecca Spencer, uh, you know, like a babysitter, care worker, maid, whatever you want to call her. Well, she's been on trial because it was alleged that he she started urinating on children's toothbrushes under her care. They also claim that Spencer urinated on a client's boxer shorts gave out cutlery she had rubbed on her genitals, and put laxatives in food. <laughs> uh, the panel had a hearing about this, and um, you have to, to, apparently to be a caregiver over in Wales, you have to be on this uh, sort of 
board? Well, she's been struck off the register completely. Well, this panel has concluded that all eight allegations had been proved. Much of the evidence in the case came from text messages in which Ms. Spencer's former partner said she received outlining her behavior. Huh. Spencer's claim that the messages had been tampered with and changed by her former partner a way of getting back to her, but uh, she did not uh, was not able to prove that. And apparently she was quite pleased with this. Hmm. And she also sent text messages referring to her use of rec- recreational drugs. <laughs> so, peeing on toothbrushes, nice. Okay, let's go to the big shitstorm of the week, guys. Yep, that's right. Let us go to the United States border in Del Rio, Texas, where the fake news ran rampant. It was it was so funny. After all these months of talking about the chaos at the border and having it been completely ignored by the media, all it took for them to lose their shit and go all over Twitter and spread fake news was one picture of a border patrol guy trying to grab an illegal immigrant from Haiti from horseback. And you guys have all seen the pictures by now. This is images of Border Patrol agents on horses pushing back Haitian, Haitian migrants. I got lots, lots of audio coming up here, so stand by. And this has prompted outrage among Democrats. How dare you physically secure a border? That's what they want. They don't believe in borders, you guys, because how I see this, they're like, well, you can't do that. Okay, how do you secure a border? Let me know how you do it. Of course, they don't believe in borders, obviously, but they just can't come out and say that out loud. But I would love just one journalist, as I wrote on Twitter, when they start bitching about it, I would love, I would be like, okay, what would you do? How would you deter people physically entering the United States? Just to see the panicked look on the liberal Democrat face. But yes, uh, they are deeply troubled in the White House. And again, I have clips coming up in a moment. But this chaos has been unfolding since last week. Remember when I told you large groups of Haitians started crossing the Rio Grande River and illegally entering the United States in Del Rio, Texas. And this all comes because Sleepy Joe said, come on in. So what do you think they're going to do? The videos appeared to show mounted border patrol agents corralling migrants and forcing them back to Mexico. Some of the agents were gripping and waving reins. Not whips, as was popularly depicted. They were not whips. They were never whips. They're called split reins. And if you follow my man Braxton McCoy on Twitter, he's a vet, uh, Ramadi veteran, and he's also a big horse guy. And he went on there and debunked a lot of this nonsense. You can tell these journalists have never been on a fucking horse in their lives. They didn't even know what they were looking at. And so... Yes, they are now, uh, all the Democrats are completely outraged, saying this is uh, horror, these, this, this whipping is like slavery, <laughs> even though, one, there were no whips, and there's absolutely no evidence that anybody was even hit. Indeed, they interviewed the photographer who took the actual famous picture, and he's like, dude, nobody was, nobody was hit with reins. That's nonsense. He said it, not me. Uh, this is though this is funny the NAACP statement uh, they they sent a statement to Biden like a letter and he said and and it read like it read the following quote white and white presenting men on horseback with lariats are seen chasing yelling and cursing at vulnerable black asylum seekers end quote 
They didn't have lariats. There were no lariats. That's completely made up. They make it up. Dude. Fucking hilarious, man. So, the this is a mounted patrol. Uh, just like they have horses in a lot of big city departments. Because horses, as I've told you many times, especially during the rides of last year, horses are like the best thing for crowd control. And they're also the best thing for very rugged terrain that's muddy, that's sprawling, that's deserty. The horses are the best option. They inter- the Border Patrol guys were saying, we can't even use ATVs over there. Over there, it's so muddy and shitty. So, yes. Uh, this was along the Rio Grande again in the Del Rio area. And now, they, they don't know what to do. They're just flailing about. And here's another lie. Katharina Obzer, a director at the Women's Refugee Commission, said, quote, It is reprehensible that Haitian families seeking safety amidst political violence and a devastating earthquake at home are met with anti-black violence, end quote. Well, uh, as I'm going to show you in a minute, almost all these people have been in South America for years with very good jobs. And I'm going to get to that in a moment. But now Joe Biden is vowing that Border Patrol agents who mistreated Haitian migrants crossing the Rio Grande would, quote, Hey, end quote. I got the I have the video in a moment, the audio. And they're trying to do something about this. Uh, they also briefed, uh, they also interviewed hapless, bumbling Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, who called the photos, quote, horrifying, end quote. Oh, he also said this. No, he didn't. He said it. He said that the photos, quote, painfully conjured up the worst elements of our nation's ongoing battle against systemic racism. End quote. This is not racism. This is trying to stop an in, basically an invasion of illegal immigrants. This is hardly unbelievable. Now, what are they going to do about it? Well, According to the New York Times, more than 1,000 Haitian migrants were deported between Sunday of last week and Tuesday. But contrary to what the administration is saying, thousands of others are being allowed into the United States. And they're being released, guess what, with instructions to report to immigration officials at a future date. Yeah, right. So the Biden administration responded with high-profile repatriation flights with officials hope will deter others from making the trip here. Yeah, at one point, 15,000 Haitian migrants were crammed under and around that bridge. You guys have probably all seen the uh, pictures. And most are being released from Border Patrol custody with a notice-to-appear order, which formally enters them into the immigration court system for a deportation hearing often years away. That's right. Yep. And then... When they did those deportation flights, some of the illegal immigrants caused disruptions on the tarmac. I got more on that in a moment. When they deplo- when they got off the plane in Port Au Prince, Haiti, as a matter of fact, three U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement officials and an unspecified number of members of the flight crew suffered non-life-threatening injuries, but they were hurt. But you don't hear shit about that. You don't hear anything about this. All it is, all you hear about is the fucking. The Border Patrol agent chasing down the guy and grabbing him by his shirt. Ay, ay, ay. Remember, they're still using that Title 42. And the Biden administration is using it. Not for everybody, but for, for some, and definitely for these. And the Biden administration has sought to continue this rule, which was issued by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, which critics say, the Open Borders Advocates, 
is less about preventing the spread of COVID-19 and more about keeping migrants out of the country. Well, so what? That's all right. We can keep whoever we want out of the country, much like every other country also has the right to keep whoever they want out of their country. This is not just us. They act like this is so unusual that we have an international border that we can control who comes in and out. Like literally, as I said, every uh, no country just allows anyone to ramble in and out as they please. Not a single one. Uh, yeah, here's one. One woman was a native Haitian who'd been living in Chile for seven years. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I have I have a lot of this, though, so I'm just going to keep going. Again, thousands of Haitians have been allowed to stay in the U.S. As a matter of fact, in Houston, nearly 2,000 Haitian migrants have arrived this week from Del Rio. And hundreds more have been allowed by the U.S. authorities onto flights to destinations as far away as New York, Boston, and Miami. Paperwork in their pockets, permitting them to remain in the country. I want you to remember all these details because when I play the audio, you're going to hear what shameless liars they are. So, yes, th- you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of the big show. Remember, I think it was under Obama. Remember when they, they had the rash of unaccompanied children showing up at the border? So as a big show of force, Obama put, like, one plane load together, and they landed either in, like, Guatemala or El Salvador, and, like, the president of that country and the first lady, they made this big photo op to come out to greet the plane. And that was one plane load out of tens of thousands of people, and then you promptly never heard anything from it again. That's what this reminds me of, this whole de- deportation to Haiti. Uh, let's see, what else about Haiti? Well, like I said, they claim that they will not be able to get in the United States. As a matter of fact, here is bumpling Secretary Mayorkas saying just that. Let's listen to this. Individuals and families are subject to border restrictions including expulsion. Irregular migration poses a significant threat Irregular to migration. the health and welfare welfare of border communities and to the lives of the migrants themselves and should not be attempted. If you come to the United States illegally, you will be returned. Ha! Your journey will not succeed ha! and you will be endangering your life and your family's lives. <laughs> this administration is committed to developing safe, orderly, and humane pathways for migration. Okay, but you're failing miserably, and you heard what he said. You will not succeed. What did I just say? 2,000 people were just bust into Houston. So you are succeeding. (laughs) Very much so. It doesn't matter what you say. It matters what you do. And they know that. And uh, so Sleepy Joe is stuck between a rock and a hard place here because the, the public does is you see all the outrage among the lib journalists on Twitter. Believe me, the public doesn't like it, especially the locals. They don't like it. This is a small town in Del Rio. And uh, yep, it's only been 2000 Haitians since last week. And they claim that they have another 3,900 Haitians in government custody, and they claim those will be deported or put into removal proceedings. Hmm. But at the same time, nearly 4,000 as of September 23rd have been released with instructions to report, and thousands more are in the process to be interviewed. This shit cracks me up because you guys, it's like they act like these are like, these guys, they're very savvy. How the fuck do you think they got all the way from South Haiti first years ago, then into South America, and then into the United States? They all have cell phones. They all communicate with each other. They all say 
the, they tell each other the magic words to say to the interviewing agent so they can stay. You know, it's not that hard. And then here's a story. I want you guys to Google this headline because I can't get into the whole thing. But this explains the fake news I was talking about. Remember, they're all claiming they came from Haiti, right? Google this headline from the New York Times. Quote, Haitians deported from Del Rio say they feel mistreated and betrayed. End quote. I just want to read a little bit of this because this is what I'm talking about. Catherine Porter of the New York Times writes, quote, the Haitian migrants had done well for themselves. Since leaving their country many more than a decade ago, they had built lives in Chile, Brazil, and Panama. They had homes and cars. They had stable jobs as bank tellers, welders, mine supervisors, gas station attendants. But they wanted a better life in the United States under a president who had protected Haitians from deportation and who many believed would relax entry requirements. So they sold their belongings, left their jobs, pulled their kids out of school, and they headed north. But instead of the reception they'd expected, they were detained in Del Rio, Texas, and then some of them, yes, deported to Haiti. Well, that, and that's, that's the whole beginning of the story. And then they bitch about treat, the way they're treated. A 45-year-old guy named Nicodeme Viles he says, quote, they treated us terribly, end quote. He'd been living in Panama since 2003. Well, that was dumb. That was dumb of you to give up your job in a country where you've been living for 17 years and try to cross our border illegally. We told you not to come. Why would you do that? That was dumb. And nobody wants to say that out loud. Nobody ever does. Nobody can ever be blamed. The illegal immigrant himself, herself, can never be blamed. You know what I mean? But you have to. I also, don't get me wrong, I also blame Sleepy Joe because he's the guy who said, basically, come on in. Oh, and then uh, some of the latest updates. The senior American envoy for Haiti policy said on Thursday he had resigned over the inhumane and counterproductive deportations of Haitian migrants to Haiti. Okay, well, bye. Later. Get the next dope in there, and it will be another dope. The Daily Mail had more detail on those Haitian deportees fighting with the ICE agents in Haiti. Yeah, the Daily Mail says they were biting them, the ICE officers, and assaulting pilots on deportation flights. Yeah, in one incident on Monday at Laughlin Air Force Base in Texas, two Haitian migrants left their seats as the plane taxied on the runway and attacked ICE agents by biting them, forcing takeoff to be delayed. And then those three ICE officers I mentioned uh, earlier also had injuries during an assault on Tuesday in Haiti. And that was when a group of a, uh, from a plane carrying single adult men stormed another recent arriving flight carrying deported families. And the Haitian men then assaulted the pilots of that plane and demanded to be taken back to the U.S. You believe these fucks? <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. The entitlement it kills me. Oh, just to be, I'm trying to, so guys, I don't want you to, I just want you, you, maybe you're soft on immigration, fine. I'm just trying to imagine the white American liberals reaction if a bunch of like white dudes, I don't know, stormed the border of Guatemala and got the shit kicked out of them, right? These white liberals would be like, good. They, they'd be cheering the Guatemalan border forces for doing that, saying good, you know? But when it comes to ours, they just, they they don't like it. Oh, and planes weren't the only thing they hijacked. They hijacked, they've hijacked multiple buses 
during transport rides and forced out drivers. Yeah, according to a senior law enforcement official telling the Washington Examiner, said these guys have been overpowering drivers and they've actually hijacked a few of the buses and driven down the road and escaped. This happened multiple times. Yeah. But no, no, uh, no outrage from the media about uh, assaults on our federal law enforcement officers though, at all. Okay, let's go to the audio clips and start with Sleepy Joe. And he is spreading the lie that the Border Patrol agents are beating people in this clip. Let's, you uh, said let's on the campaign trail that you were going to restore the moral standing of the U.S. Oh, that shut you were up. going to immediately end Trump's assault on the dignity of immigrant communities. Given what we saw at the border this week, have you failed in that promise? And this is happening under your watch. Listen, you to, listen to how upset she sounds. The chaos that's unfolding? Of course I take responsibility. I'm president, but it was horrible what to see, as you saw. To see people treated like they did... Horses really running them over, people being strapped. Horses running them over. I promise you, those people will <laughs> nope. pay. They will be an investigation underway now, and there will be consequences. There will be consequences. It's an embarrassment, but it's beyond an embarrassment. It's dangerous. It's wrong. It sends the wrong message around the world. No, it, it doesn't. The wrong message at home. It's simply not who we are. Okay, who we are. It doesn't send the wrong message at all. As a matter of fact, nobody wants to say this. That's a very effective message. And by the way, nobody was run over by a horse. That's a complete lie. Uh, more nonsense from the Biden administration. Um, here's a bumbling press secretary, Jen Psaki. And she's asked, this is funny, because he's at, she's asked about illegal immigrants proving vaccination status. Let's listen to this. The question about what's going on at the border. Is somebody asking the foreign nationals who are walking into Del Rio, Texas, and setting up camps on this side of the border for proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test? Well, first of all, I can re, re, I can readdress for you or re, re-talk you through what that steps the, we that take. That is the policy for people who fly into the country. So if somebody walks into the country right across the river, does somebody ask them to see their vaccination card? Well, let me explain to you again, Peter, how our process works. <laughs> as individuals, as individuals come across the border, uh, and uh, they are uh, both assessed for whether they have uh, any symptoms. If they have symptoms, they are the intention is for them to be quarantined. That is our process. They're not intending to stay here for a lengthy period of time. I don't think it's but the same here. thing. The it's difference? not the same thing. These are individuals, as we've noted and as we've been discussed, we are expelling individuals based on Title 42 specifically because of COVID. Because yeah, okay, let me stop her. Again, only a tiny fraction are being expelled. And she said they're not intending to be here for a very length, a long length of time. You think they just fucking walked 2,000 miles just to pop in and see the view? <laughs> of course, she's just lying. She's just making shit up. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the report, a very good reporter I've long followed uh, is Bill Malusian with... Um, Fox News, Los Angeles, and he's been down on the border for like six months straight, and he's been watching all this unfold. Uh, so he's real boots on the ground. He's been there the whole time. And he listened to that press conference, and he laughed. Let's hear his response. Uh, that was an interesting press conference, and you guys have been talking about Jen, uh, Jen Psaki's comments that she doesn't believe that the migrants down here uh, intend to stay for a long time. 
that's news to these folks down here. If they were to actually come down here and talk to them, I think they would realize that they're not traveling from halfway around the world to go on a little camping trip for a few days under this bridge and then just go back into Mexico. Yes. They intend to stay. They know under the Biden administration, if they can just step foot on U.S. soil, they will have a chance to be released into the U.S., either with a future court date or something else. They know that. The right, and, and, and thousands of them already have. Um, and it's right out there. It's not. This is not a secret. And what else did uh, Bill? Oh, here and here is also uh, Bill Malusian talking about what I was talking about. Like this has nothing to do with problems in Haiti. These are people coming where they've long been ensconced in various countries in so South Bill, America. On, on, on that point, with all these people who have been in, in places like Brazil or Chile or this other group that's in in Colombia. You know, part of claiming asylum is credible fear. If you've been in Brazil or Chile, which are both modern countries for years, how do you come to the United States and suddenly claim credible fear? Excellent question. Well, that's the thing. Chile has one of the strongest economies in all of South America. And look, there are legitimate people claiming asylum in these groups mm -hmm. that come over, but a large majority of the people I've talked to for the past five months now are economic migrants. When I ask them, why do you come? They want a better job. They're not making enough money down there. They want a better financial situation for their family. They tell me they want to send money back to their family in countries in Central or South America. Those are not grounds for asylum. Do we want to help everybody? Does that, should everybody who wants a better job be let into the country? That's something that politicians are going to have to decide. Mm -hmm. But American asylum requirements are very strict. They have very specific criteria. Yes. And you don't have over a million people coming over the border who are going to meet all of that criteria. Okay, and, and that's a great point he brought up because every time you see one of these open borders people on Twitter or social media, they're always like, well, they're not illegal. It's not illegal to claim asylum. But the, the, the only a time, but they never point out, and as I often reply to them, only a tiny, tiny fraction are even trying to claim asylum. Most people do not qualify for asylum. Like he just said, it's a very narrow category that you have to meet. Political persecution. Uh, if you're gay and you're being persecuted by the government specifically for being gay, that sort of thing. So just because you want a better job, that's fucking absurd. Uh, and here is Jen Psaki going in on the fake whips story. Let's hear this part. On the campaign trail, uh, then candidate, no, President Biden said, well, we're going to restore our moral standing in the world and our historic role as a safe haven for refugees and asylum seekers. How is what's happening? They're not asylum seekers. Haitian refugees square with that. Well, which aspect of what's happening at the border? What's happening with the Haitians? And they're not refugees the either. We've seen, or do you mean photos? Yeah. Well, well, first, uh, we understand and agree that this has been an incredibly heart-wrenching issue. We've watched the photos of Haitians gathering under a bridge, many with families, and the horrific video of the CBP officers on horse on horses using brutal and inappropriate measures against innocent people. <laughs> well, they didn't use any of that. I think it's important to take to address that and separately address what our immigration policies are and understand that people are combining them, but uh, that's why I asked that question. Okay, yeah, yeah, she doesn't want to talk about it. She just, like, says nonsense. Uh, here was uh, Maxine Waters chimed in. She said this is like uh, this is like just like slavery. And we're saying to the president and everybody else, you got to stop this madness. And I want to know in the first place who's paying these cowboys to do this work. Cowboys. They've got to be gotten rid of. They've gotten to be stopped. 
It cannot go on. And so I thank all of you for being here today. Write the story. Tell the story about what is going on. And let people know that they're trying to take us back to slavery days and worse than that. And the children... Yeah, there you go. It's just like slavery and, and cowboys, not our federal border patrol agents. <laughs> it, it just goes on. I have so many clips here. I'm debating whether you're even playing them all because I just got a ton. Uh, let me uh, let's see. I'm not going to play that one, but I do want to get to a few more. Um, already kind of covered that. Oh, here's a good one. Okay, so here's the latest. So you know what the administration decided to do in the face of this? Do you think they started swiftly deporting people or demanding they leave? No, 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 no. They're getting rid of the horses. That's right. Here's Jen Psaki. So what he has asked all of us to convey clearly to people who are understandably have questions, are passionate, are concerned, as we are about the images that we have seen, is one, we feel those images are horrible and horrific. They're not. There is an investigation the president certainly supports overseen by this, the Department of Homeland Security, which he has conveyed will, uh, will happen quickly. I can also convey to you that the secretary also conveyed to civil rights leaders earlier this morning that we would no longer be using horses in Del Rio. Uh, so that is something, a policy change that has Idiotic. been made in response. But separately, all related, it's also important. Let me just stop her there. That is so, it, it, this is all in response to fake news on Twitter that Border Patrol agents were using whips. Like they'd been issued whips or something like that. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Uh, let's see, how many or more clips do I have here? Oh, I got to play this one here. Al Sharpton decided to go to the border. And here, you'll hear him getting heavily fucking jeered and booed by the crowd. Who I should, I shouldn't have to say this. This is Del Rio, Texas. This is majority, most of them are Hispanic or Latino, whatever you want to call them. And they don't like Al Sharpton. They don't want to hear his shit. So let's listen to him getting booed. Former U.S. Support. ambassador to South Africa. Why are you not being Patrick negotiating Gaspar, at the border? And to his 40% uh, of children that have come in, children also need are not missing from the border. Jones, Austin. Kids are being sedated at the U.S. border. Why are you not being Bryant a voice for the children? From Atlanta, Georgia, New Birth Baptist Church. Reverend Freddie Haynes, the pastor of the French and West Put that in your hands. Be tough, man. Children, why are they 
weaponization of horses. Why are you not trying to be resistant so they can have all the weapons they want? They should do all they can. We will keep coming back. I can't stop listening. We want to see the border control fully investigated. We want those that will come to face justice. And we want to see full asylums get those that deserve like anyone else in this country that enters this country. We cannot, we cannot have a double standard at the border. We will not tolerate it. We will not have it. Okay, I I know I wanted to stop. I didn't know it would go on that long, but God, I was uh, it was riveting. Oh, that was fantastic. Oh, just uh, I'll just finish up with uh, hapless Vice President Kamala Harris. Remember, she's supposed to be in charge of the border. Uh, she went on the View, and apparently, just on a side note, like two hosts of the View I was seeing this morning, like found out they had coronavirus like minutes before she came on, <laughs> so they had to like yank them off the set or something. But here's uh, Kamala Harris being asked about these scary pictures. Disturbing images of U.S. Border Patrol agents on horseback inhumanely corralling Haitians at the Texas border. And you've been tasked with immigration. How do you what do you how do you explain this? Well, first of all, I've been very clear about the images that you and I both saw of those law enforcement officials on horses. I, I, I was outraged by it why i it was horrible and um and and deeply troubling there's been now an investigation that is being conducted which i fully support and there needs to be consequence and accountability consequence for what uh, they, human beings should not be treated that way oh, and as okay. we all know it also evoked images of some of the worst moments of our history where that kind of behavior has been used against the indigenous people of our country has been used. <laughs> during, there she is. She almost started laughing. And um, so I'm glad to, to know. Yeah, that we must get rid of all horses because it reminds people of 1861. That's right. <laughs> okay, is that all? Thank God, that's all I got. But there, it was guys. It was top to bottom. It was completely fake news from start to finish. The whips were fake. The the them using reins to beat people was fake. The they're fleeing an earthquake in Haiti was fake. It was all fake. It's just lie after lie after lie. And because we have a very extreme, far, far to the left of the American people, journalism industry, it's just going to continue because they don't want to look into it. Again, they ignored this whole issue for months and months and months. I covered it every week. The mainstream media ignored it for months until the scary picture came out. And then they all jumped on it, not because of the issue, but because of that scary picture. I mean, you can't make this. It doesn't surprise me, but (laughs) every day they just embarrass themselves more and more and more. Okay. Let us go on. Uh, in political news, the House of Representatives has overwhelmingly approved $1 billion in new funding for Israel's Iron Dome missile defense system. After a debate that exposed bitter divisions among Democrats over U.S. policy towards one of its closest allies. Well, it's not that bitter of a division because the vote was 420 to 9 to help Israel replace missile interceptors used during heavy fighting in 
that rocket and missile war with the Palestinians in May. Of course, support for Jerusalem in Congress is very bipartisan. That's been the case for decades. But now we have a few far-left woke people in there who are uh, against Israel in all forms. Now, I will say, as I put out, I, I don't. Israel is a very wealthy country and a very technologically advanced country. And I'm just, why do we need to send them a billion dollars for their missiles? I don't get. Can't they buy their own missiles? Uh, you know, we can sell them. Why don't we sell stuff instead of giving away free money to? I don't understand that. But it, it seems now like people on. Uh, social media were like, well, if you even question it, you're anti-Semitic. <laughs> you know, that's, and that's the same thing the, Repub- the Republicans do that shit all the time to shut people up about Israel. And it's no different than people saying everything is racist, you know, like the stupid people on the border that I just talked about. It's the same weapon. It's a weapon designed to shut you up and make you slink away in shame, and they don't have to engage in the actual merits of the argument. That's all that is. And it works a lot of time, the sad part. It very much works. All it takes somebody is to hurl, you're a racist or you're an anti-Semite to somebody, and they usually just shut up or, or start falling all over themselves denying it instead of just ignoring it and keep the argument going. But that's the world we live in now. But the funny thing, you know what's funny? Is that Alejandro Ocasio-Cortez, if you go on, on to the social media of C-SPAN, you can see a clip of this vote. And you see her sobbing because she was denouncing this, you know, because she she's very anti-Israel and everything else. But the funny thing is she didn't vote no. She voted present. So she's like a big phony, dude. Uh, yeah, huge phony. And then you had the usual. So here is, I do have a clip for you. Here is Representative Rashida Tlaib of Michigan. And let's hear what she has to say about this deal with Israel and the United States. I rise States. in opposition to this supplemental. I will not support an effort to enable and support war crimes, human rights abuses, and violence. We cannot talk, be talking only about Israelis' need for safety at a time when Palestinians are living under a violent apartheid system and are dying from what Human Rights Watch has said are war crimes. We should also be talking about Palestinian need for security from Israeli attacks. We must be consistent in our commitment to human life, period. Everyone deserves to be safe there. The bill claims to be, quote, a replenishment for weapons apartheid Israel used in a crisis it manufactured when it attacked worshippers at one of the most holiest Islamic locations, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, committing, again, numerous, numerous war crimes. And yet, a $1 billion in American tax dollars or my colleagues want to give represents to me an absurd and unjustifiable 140 times increase to U.S. funding for the Iron Dome. I firmly believe our country must oppose selling weapons to anyone, anywhere, without human rights law compliance. The Israeli government oh, is an apartheid regime. <laughs> not my words, the words of Human Rights Watch and Israel's own Human Rights Watch organization, Ben Salem. I urge my colleagues, please stand with me in supporting human rights for all. Okay. There. See. Uh, she just sounds unhinged, doesn't she? But again, have you seen, did you guys watch those videos of the Iron Dome back in May when they were launching? It is fucking cool. You know, when they intercept all those rockets, it's very fascinating. But I will ask again, before everybody jumps down my throat, I why can't Israel pay us for stuff? 
I don't know. Like, I don't know why that's not a thing. Okay. What else? Well, let's go to this one. Uh, this is, let's lighten it up a little bit. Uh, a man from Indiana. Oh, you, a man from Indiana pled guilty on Wednesday to abusive sexual contact with a woman who was sleeping on a flight from Indianapolis to Denver in 2017. 27, that's four years ago, dude. Like, just now, he's get, they're getting a guilty plea out of him? Anyway, it turns out that the dude had, uh, he had actually uh, pleasured himself <laughs> in front of this chick on a plane. Like, dude, how do you, and that's not even like that long of a flight. Like, can you not just save it until you get off the plane? I mean, how long do you, what's the, the urge? That's something I've never understood with, with, these, with all the stories I do. Like, why can't these guys just, like, wait five minutes before they get home, everything else? And they never do. They go on and just have such a tremendous urge to pull it out that, uh, yeah, it just, just goes crazy. Never understood it. What else? How about archaeology? You guys know I love this stuff. Ancient footprints are pushing back the date of human arrival in the Americas. Yeah, they found ancient human footprints preserved in the ground across the White Sands National Park in New Mexico. They reported this just yesterday, Friday, that date back to about 23,000 years. That's like the Ice Age. So if these results hold up, they say it would rejuvenate the scientific debate about how humans first spread across the Americas implying that they did so at a time when massive glaciers covered much of their path. They think this is the biggest discovery about the peopling of America in a hundred years. For decades, many archaeologists have maintained that humans spread across North and South America only at the end of the last ice age. They point to the oldest known tools, including spear spear tips, scrapers, and needles that date back about 13,000 years. The technology was known as Clovis, named for the town of Clovis, New Mexico, where some of these first instruments were found. Also, Clovis is home to one of the Air Force's special tactics team. God help those guys out there. I mean, Clovis is in the middle of nowhere. Like, dude, you couldn't fucking have a team based out of anywhere cool, like, I don't know, San Diego? Instead, you're in the middle of the desert in Albuquerque? Sucks to be those guys. Anyway, uh, back to this. Uh, Yeah, that kind of lined up those tools, the age of them, with the retreat of the glaciers. So they thought, okay, this makes sense. Siberian hunter-gatherers moved into Alaska during the Ice Age where they lived for a while until ice-free quarters opened and allowed them to expand southward. But starting in the 70s, some archaeologists began publishing older evidence of humanity's presence in North America. Last year, some academics published a report of stone tools in a mountain cave in Mexico that dated back 26,000 years. But other experts are skeptical. One guy said some of these supposed tools might actually be oddly shaped rocks. Hmm. Okay. And then he's, some of them are b- being questioned on the dates because they say, like, for example, if a tool sinks into underlining sediment, it might, be, uh, might appear to be older than it really is. But now, yeah, they found these footprints that were first discovered in 2009. 
and they found thousands of human footprints across the 80,000 acres of White Sands Monument. One path was made by someone walking in a straight line for a mile and a half. Oh, that's pretty cool. So the footprints were formed when people strode over damp, sandy ground on the margins of a lake. In some cases, the impressions are only visible when the ground is unusually wet or dry. Otherwise, they are invisible. But now we have ground-penetrating radar, and it can reveal their three-dimensional structure. Uh, so, yeah. they. This is super fascinating. The way they did this, I'm not, I don't want to go too crazy with it, but what they found was when they were walking around the footprints, they sometimes came across ancient seeds of ditch grass. So they brought back some of those seeds and measured the carbon in them to determine their age, and the results came as a shock because the ditch grass had grown thousands of years before the end of the last ice age. So then they collected ditch grass seeds from dish, ditch grass seeds from each bed and measured their carbon, et cetera, et cetera. And they do say the oldest footprints at the site left by an adult human and a mammoth were located below a seed bed dating back about 22,800 years. And they do have some pictures of these ditch grass seeds. Anyway, pretty cool stuff. Go check it out. Uh, what else? Let's go. Oh, God. Remember? Dude, this happened again. Do you remember that story in San Diego from a few months back? where the suicidal guy jumped off the building and killed the chick who was out on a date because he landed on her? Yeah. Well, something like that happened again. An apparent suicidal man jumped off the roof of a Yonkers apartment building in New York, right? And landed on a person below, resulting in both of their deaths. A 25-year-old man jumped off the building and he landed on top of a 61-year-old man on the parking garage roof. Both men died at the scene. Ugh. Dude, talk about wrong place at the wrong time, man. Jesus. All right, how about this? Man's penis started to rot after he got it stuck in the neck of a plastic bottle for two months during masturbation game <laughs> okay well that's a lot to take in well the 45 year old unidentified man from nepal used the neck of a bottle to strangle his penis a technique sometimes used for sexual pleasure well he decided to wait for a while to go to the emergency room but when he did doctors had to use cable wire cutters to free his penis from the bottle. And this was two months after he first put his penis into the bottle. So this can cut off blood supply, and medics at the Koirala Institute of Health Sciences said his penis had become extremely swollen due to a lack of blood flow, and the patient was on the verge of long-lasting damage. But the man would not reveal why he did it and never came back in for a follow-up, so doctors do not know how well he recovered. <laughs> this was published in the International Journal of Surgery Case Reports. Hmm. Yep. This man, who was severely depressed, kept the incident a secret from his family. Well, wouldn't your wife know? Maybe he doesn't have a wife. He had attempted suicide on multiple occasions before. So, yeah, guys, come on, don't do that. 
Don't do that. Don't stop sticking your penis in this stuff. How many stories do I have to do here before you guys stop with the penis sticking? I don't know. Many of them, apparently. All right. Let's do this funny story. The ACLU has been ripped. The American Civil Liberties Union. This is funny. I saw this on Twitter. They wanted to tweet out a tweet celebrating her on the anniversary of her death. But she they actually changed the quote. This is Ruth Bader Ginsburg they were trying to honor. And the tweet reads like the following. With, with Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death, we lost a champion for abortion and gender equality. And on the anniversary of her death, the fight to protect abortion access is more urgent than ever. Okay, fine. But here's... Then they put up a little, like, picture of a quote attributed to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And... First, I'm going to read their quote that they put up, and they wrote the ACLU the following, quote, the decision whether or not to bear a child is central to a person's life, to their well-being and dignity. When the government controls that decision for people, they are being treated as less than a fully adult human responsible for their own choices, end quote. Okay, got that? Well, they... It's completely dishonest because that's not what the fucking quote originally uh, read. And the, the problem is they said the decision or not whether to bear a child is central to a person's life. And they put persons in brackets. Well, Ruth Bader Ginsburg originally said a woman's life. Then the ACL wrote to their well-being and dignity. Ruth Bader Ginsburg originally said to her well-being and dignity. You believe these people? <laughs> so fucking you can't. And this is the ACLU. Now they're erasing people's words because they are not uh, gender inclusive. Fucking crazy. What else? Oh, I have to do this one. I, this is very exciting, you guys. And I know a lot of you are excited because a lot of you sent it to me. The former El Paso congressman, Beto. O'Rourke. That's right. He is inching closer to announcing a run for governor in Texas. Oh, I can't wait. Guys, yes, I do miss saying, I, I miss it all the time, and I know many of you enjoy it. But he's been like a, he's a dud, right? And he's lost everything he's ever ran for other than the, uh, the House of Representatives. And he ran for president. He was a dud, flopped out on that. But uh, now, yes, people, he thinks he's got enough support, and he wants to take a run at Texas Governor Greg Abbott, the Republican who is up for re-election next year. And he is not saying whether or not he's going to do it or not, but he has been asking around. He did not respond to calls or text messages seeking comment from the New York Times. Uh, No Democrat has been elected governor of Texas since Ann Richards in 1990. And no prominent Democrat has yet emerged to take on Abbott next year. Abbott has built up a war chest of more than $55 million. But Democrats see a potential opening. And yes, I would love if I I strongly encourage Ben to run for governor because then I can mock him incessantly. Is there any more mockable person in politics other than Beto? I don't think there is. I think he's the best, best, best one by far. Okay, how about this one? California court overturns murder convictions because of racism. 
Yeah, they overturned the convictions of three black men over a double murder, saying prosecutors dismissed a black woman from the jury pool for racial reasons. The prosecutor in the Contra County case inappropriately questioned the 25-year-old woman's support, her support of the Black Lives Matter movement and dismissed her for reasons that were plainly tied to race, according to a unanimous ruling by the 1st Appellate District of California. Um, yeah. So this is all those preemptory challenges, right? When, when uh, the defense attorneys and the prosecutors go back and forth trying to pull people off juries. So you can't make it overtly about race, but you can, there are ways around it. So they think this was like too much. But the ruling overturns the 2016 convictions of Sheldon Silas, Reginald Whitley, and Lamar Michaels. They were serving life in prison without possibility of parole for the shooting deaths of Christopher Zinn and his girlfriend, Brianna Dow. Their bodies were found in un- unincorporated Antioch in 2012. Prosecutors said the killings were gang-related retaliation because Zinn was believed to have stolen guns from the group. And yeah, they just said it was uh, inappropriate the way she was questioned, so they threw out the whole murder verdict. <laughs> so fucking dumb. Uh, Coster County, uh, the Coster County prosecutors, to their credit, have said, well, well we're going to retry them then, and this time we won't because we're not letting these guys out of prison because we know they did it, which they absolutely should do that. Uh, a tech- Tennessee teenager has been charged with fatally shooting his sleeping mother in the head after she took away his cell phone. Holy shit. <clears throat> Sean Willis, who was 17 years old at the time, allegedly shot his mom, Sandy Willis, with the handgun she kept on her nightstand in their Rocky Top home in April of 2020. He allegedly took the gun into a different room so he could load it without his mother hearing her. He then stood over her bed and shot her in the head at close range while she was asleep. Oh my God. Freaking psycho, dude. He then allegedly confessed to killing his mother when he and his father were being interviewed by the police. Details surrounding his case have only recently been made public after it was transferred from a juvenile court to a criminal court. That's why we're just now hearing about it. He's now 18, and prosecutors are charging him as an adult. He's being charged with first-degree murder. I'm looking at his mugshot right now. He's got, like, dead black eyes, like those fucking psycho eyes. Nuts. A Michigan man is accused of placing pipe bombs outside cell phone stores as a part of a crusade to halt telecommunications, quote, containing immoral content, end quote, like porn and cursing. 75-year-old John Douglas Allen was charged with extortion and attempted destruction of interstate commerce buildings. Allen was caught on camera placing homemade explosive packages outside an AT&T store in... Sheboygan, and uh, another town in Michigan. He also left threatening letters placed inside polka dot envelopes at cell towers in the state's upper peninsula. The letters, which had a return address for Coalition for Moral Telecommunication, demanded that software be updated to stop the spread of pornography and vulgarity. He had also threatened to travel across the country destroying cell phone towers, but he was willing to be bribed not to do that. 
because the letter read, quote, also within 180 days, you will be given instructions as to how and where you will pay us $5 million to cease and desist, end quote. Oh, they got a picture of the letter. This is funny. It's typed out, right? It's not handwritten. And yes, they do say we are almost 30 strong. We are prepared to travel throughout this country and begin destroying inner city tower communication unless the following is followed. All telecommunication containing immoral content must be stopped. This includes cursing, the transmission of pornography, blah, 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 blah. Crazy guy. That's funny. Uh, Okay. What else? Let's go to a few good ones here. Um, Where's the one I really wanted to get to? Just uh, scrolling through. You guys bear with me for a moment. Uh, Well, let's do... This one here. Let's do the chaos that ensued. This is pretty funny. I, I place I, I put part of this on uh, Instagram, but this is when UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson was meeting with Sleepy Joe in the White House, and uh, <laughs> this is just funny because Boris Johnson actually called on a few reporters, unlike Joe Biden, and he was trying to talk with them, and then everybody, and then they, Joe Biden's handlers clear the room. Let's listen to this chaos. It's pretty uh, it interrupts funny. Interrupts or uh, unbalances the, the Belfast Good Friday uh, Accords. That's the uh, Belfast Good Friday Agreement. That's that's the. Okay. Isn't that nuts? And then the White House later came out and said, well, yeah, but we didn't authorize him to do that, to ask the questions. I'm like, so fucking what, dude? God. Oh, that's so funny, dude. Thank you. Thank you. That's great. I love Bo- I love the Boris Johnson accent, that British accent. It's like that. It's like the old white British guy. It's like almost like the Winston Churchill. It sounds like you're half drunk. He's like, well, according, to, according to the Belfast agreement, this is quite extraordinary. It's what developed over the years. You know, they, they're kind of like lisping. They got that weird, like, just talk to him. Very jowly. Oh, and here's another. A bunch of you guys sent me this one. I'm going to play this video. These were the white guys at Arizona State University who went to the multicultural center to study. But the, the big problem, well, one of them has a Police Lives Matter sticker on his laptop, which you'll hear addressed. And, uh, and they're also wearing like various right-wing outfits or whatever. But they are white. They're sitting there, and they're in the multicultural center. And so they are confronted by some women of color. So let's hear how this goes. You have a bad... Better- you're, you're offensive. Police Lives Matter? You have the same sticker. We're just trying to do school. What? You guys have the same sticker as the other. But this is our space. We've got a police lives matter sticker and we're getting kicked out. Can't do school. Yeah, you, you just said we have to leave. No, I said you're making the space you uncomfortable. Me feel uncomfortable. But you're white. Do you understand what a multicultural space? It means you're not being centered. White's not a culture? No. No, it's not a culture. It's white is not a culture. Say it again to the camera. You think whiteness is a culture? 
This is insane. So anyway, this is the violence that ASU does, and this is the type of people that they protect. Violence. Okay, this white man thinks he can take up our space, and this is why we need a multicultural space, because they think they can get away with this shit. I'm going to sit here the whole time, and you can find somebody to kick that, That's cool. We, we're we not will. kicking you out. We're asking you to leave if you have any consideration for people of color and are marginalized. So clearly, no. <laughs> Fuck, no. Yeah, the whole rest of the campus, the whole, the second floor, the first floor, the whole MU, every single part of the campus centers you. This is the only space that you're not centered, and you're still trying to center yourself, which is peak white cis male bullshit. Cis male bullshit. <laughs> you are racist. Your sticker is racist because police, that's a job. You can choose to be a police. I, didn't, I don't choose to be black. Hmm. Okay? No, you can choose to be a cop, you can choose to kill people with a badge, and you're protecting that shit, which means that you're racist. Don't apologize. I know, I know, but this offends us automatically because these people kill people like me and like us, right? So you're promoting our murderers. So please just don't do that. A Asian guy chiming in. Thank you. So why should that bother you? Because... Do you understand that police lives matter was in response to Black Lives Matter? Pay the same fucking tuition as you. Yep. Hold on. But yeah, that's but fine. And you have everywhere. You have. I'm working sixty hours a week while going to school because my parents don't just give me money. Okay. It doesn't matter. Okay. It just goes on from there. Oh, I should also point out that they have. Uh, they're eating Chick Fil A. You know the hate chicken. Yeah. So that's even more triggering. That's funny. Yeah, it's 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 multicultural, which implies every culture is welcome. But according to her, there's no white culture apparently, or well, it's European culture, which is very much a culture. If you've ever been to Europe and seen the amazing fucking buildings, or participated in any, uh, you know, listening to an orchestra, or uh, looking at the beautiful bridges and designs and the stonework and everything else amazing about Europe. Yeah, it, it is a culture. It's fabulous. It's by far the... Europe, I love Europe. It's the best place ever. All right, how about an update on the Theranos trial and the trial of Elizabeth Holmes? You guys know I've been covering this a little bit. Well, guess who took the stand this week? That's right. James Mattis, Mad Dog Mattis, the retired four-star Marine Corps general and former Secretary of Defense who got snookered by Elizabeth Holmes, the CEO of Theranos, he did testify that Elizabeth Holmes, the founder, misinformed him before and during his time on the company's board of directors. He sat on the board for several years. He said he had supported Theranos' mission of cheap, fast, and easily accessible blood tests, but lost faith after the Wall Street Journal exposed major issues with the technology in 2015. It became clear to him, he said, that Ms. Holmes had not been forthcoming with Theranos' directors about the problems. So he resigned from the board in late 2016 after Donald Trump tapped him to become defense secretary. And then two years later, Theranos collapsed amidst fines, lawsuits, and financial troubles. And federal prosecutors charged Ms. Holmes and her business partner, Ramesh Balwani, with a dozen counts of fraud and conspiracy to commit voter fraud, wire fraud. I'm so used to saying voter fraud. Both have pleaded not guilty. If convicted, they face up to 20 years in jail. Other potential witnesses include Rupert Murdoch, the media mogul, David Boies, who was the company's outside lawyer, and Bill Frist, a former U.S. senator and Theranos board member. 
As Mattis spoke, Elizabeth Holmes sat upright in her seat and stared in his direction. That's funny. If you ever, if you watch that documentary I recommended, um, the inventor on HBO, one of the t- takeaways from that was that uh, her coworkers often said she never seemed to blink. She had this like wide-eyed, really intense psycho stare, and she never appeared to like close her eyes. So she was probably just trying to freak Mattis out. I'd be freaked out if I saw that shit. Okay, let's go to this update. Let's go to the Gabrielle Petito murder uh, story that's fascinated the nation. Talked about this last week a little bit. That was the uh, murder of Gabrielle Petito by someone, presumably Mr. Brian Laundry, her partner at the time. Remember that they were documenting their cross-country trip over the summer. He remo- he returned home to Florida without her. And then, yes, her body was found in a Wyoming park. The death has been ruled a homicide, although we don't know the cause of death yet. So they've been searching for laundry ever since. And a federal arrest warrant was issued because it's charging him with debit card fraud because he apparently used someone else's debit card to use at an ATM. The authorities did not say whether the debit card belonged to Miss Petito. I would imagine she does. So they are continuing to search that nature preserve in Florida where his parents had said they believed he had gone. He's 23 years old. What are the odds that his parents, I think his parents are involved in this somehow. They could be looking at accessories um, to murder. So... They are not responding to requests for comments, are the lawyers for laundry. And he has yet to be seen. I stand by my prediction from uh, last week that he will be found deceased. And they were t- I heard an interview with like a local sheriff about this wilderness area he disappeared into. He said it's very harsh land. Like they have like fucking gators and shit. They, they might not ever find him. He might be eaten by now. Let's go to Sudan where Sudanese authorities said they thwarted an attempted coup by loyalists of the deposed dictator Omar Hassan al-Bashir this week, the latest sign of instability in an African nation. Soldiers tried to seize control of a state state media building in the city of Omdurman, across the Nile from the capital of Khartoum, but they were fought off and arrested. Prime Minister Abdallah Hamdak described it as a near-miss for Sudan's turbulent transition to democracy, which started in 2019 with the ouster of Bashir, the longtime ruler. You guys remember me covering that on the podcast. And they are blaming the failed coup on Bashir loyalists, both military and civilians. Remember, Bashir himself was overthrown in a military takeover prompted by widespread popular protests. Now, this is uh, going on in an increasingly turbulent part of the world. Of course, you guys know about Ethiopia. They've been embroiled in that civil war in its northern Tigray region. Uh, You know about Somalia, always torn by power struggles between its president and prime minister and all the terrorists. And yes, and if you were listening last week or the week before, I can't remember, there was a military coup in Guinea. And that was the third West African country to experience a violent transfer of power this year. <laughs> it's, oh, Africa, man. Uh, it's, 
That's some place right there. Uh, there's no way, there's nothing that can be done about this by us. So, you know, you just got to let them work it out. Let's go to Tennessee, where a shooting at a Kroger grocery store killed one person and wounded 14. The suspect was found dead, apparently, of a self-inflicted gunshot later in a Memphis uh, suburb. So they uh, this is a small town. It's a Memphis suburb of about 51,000 people. And the woman who was killed was named Olivia King. And she was... How old she was? Um, just scrolling down here. She had just gone to church hours before. That's very sad. Her husband had died in 2005, and she had lived with one of her three sons and his children before they recently moved to Ohio. Apparently, the gunman shot, his, shot the woman right in the chest. Oh, God. Horrible. So, another shooting. What are you going to do? Do you remember that plane, the uh, the balloon crash in Albuquerque a few months back that killed five people? Yeah, that we, we learned some more about that. That was when the hot air balloon crashed into power lines in Albuquerque in June. And it did kill the pilot and all four passengers. And the pilot was named Nicholas Molesky, 62 years old. Well, they decided to take blood and urine samples from him, his body, I should say. And it turns out he had cocaine and marijuana in his system. (laughs) Uh, I would never get on one of these things, man. Although alcohol was not detected in the samples, cocaethylene, a compound created when the liver metabolizes cocaine in the presence of ethanol, was also detected in his urine, but not his blood. This is according to a federal aviation administrator uh, and a release. A cause of the accident has not yet been been determined by the National Transportation Safety Board. The passengers who died were ranged in age from 59 to 65, and that's a tough deal. Fuck hot air balloons, dude. I'm not getting in one of those things. You can't even steer it. Like, what happens if it just goes crazy? You know, you can't steer it. I would get on one. I would get on one to parachute out of one. That's the only, literally the only reason I would ever do it. Okay, let's see. I got a few more here. Let's go to these. I got a few more videos. Here's a guy talking who is against all of you people and your fat phobia. He himself looks like a very large gentleman. Let's uh, hear all these. Yes, chairs. Let's talk about chairs. Uh, Full pun intended, chairs are the biggest fucking issue in the fat community. Um, The amount of public spaces like doctor's offices, malls, what the fuck ever, places that have seating, restaurants, etc., never ever have accessible seating some places just have stools or some places just have armed small dinky looking chairs as a fat person if you have never ever done the following things if you have never looked at a picture of a restaurant on google maps to try and figure out if the seating would be accessible to your size If you've never broken a chair in a public space, especially, 
Um, if you've never had to second guess whether or not it was okay to sit down in the chairs provided to you, if you've never had a fucking panic attack at school because you couldn't fit into the goddamn chair desk situation, then you don't deal with fat phobia at the same level that the rest of us do. Okay, all right. And this is just one example. There are a plethora of other examples I could give you. But this one is really, really important. It's very important. But, uh, you know, there is a solution. You could stop stuffing your mouth with ho-hos and little Debbies, and you could walk five miles a day, and you'd be fine. But instead, no. You want to choose that life. You choose to be a giant fat person. Underneath all that fat, you got a skeleton that looks just like mine. You've chosen that life. Maybe you should reconsider your choice. That's all I'll say. I know you won't, though. And by the way, speaking of being fat, let's go to our COVID update. That's another thing you should be worried about if you're fat. It's the number one uh, related chances of getting COVID and dying and being severely ill next to age is obesity. If I was, if I was fat, I'd be scared shitless. But let's go to our COVID update. Uh, let's see. First in the United States, total reported cases, 42,678,094. Total reported deaths, 684,488. That case change, the 14-day change is down 14%, but the death change in the 14-day change is up 29%. The country is averaging more than 2,000 newly reported deaths a day. That is the most since late February. However, hospitalizations and new cases are, start, are starting to decline. The Deep South has improved dramatically in recent weeks. Uh, case rates are rising in portions of the upper Midwest. Reports of new infections are up more than 80% over the last two weeks in Wisconsin. Alaska leads the country in recent cases per capita. The pace of vaccination has been steady recently, about 760,000 doses a day. About two-thirds of American adults are fully Vaccinated. As far as the world, every once in a while I'll give you the world update. Total reported cases worldwide, 230,630,176. Total reported deaths, 4,729,178. As far as some of the international news, India said it would resume coronavirus vaccine exports next month. They're trying to give them away to poorer countries. Sleepy Joe announced the purchase of 500 million doses of the Pfizer vaccine to donate to developing countries. Uh, Senegal, disinformation-fueled vaccine skepticism is fading after a deadly third wave, but now demand for the shots far outstrips the limited supply. More than 6 billion vaccine doses have been given worldwide, or 78 per 100 people. So... That's it. The U.S. is still a hot spot, one of the hottest spots. Uh, Turkey is a hot spot. I'm just looking at the heat map around the world. Uh, you, the U.K. is still a hot spot. Estonia. Uh, much of Africa is very low. The only hot spot I'm looking at this map is the country of Botswana. Uh, so as far as the latest COVID live updates... Uh, as Biden hails the Pfizer boosters, this is the CDC director now is defending her move to include frontline worker in that booster campaign. And by the way, the 
director of the CDC had to defend her decision because this overruled her agency's scientific advisors. But she went on to say, remember the director of the CDC is Dr. Rochelle Walensky. She said, quote, I want to be very clear that I did not overrule an advisory committee, end quote. Okay. She said it was a close call, and in that situation, it was her call to make. So now this just adds to all this confusion over this booster. Because earlier on Friday, Biden appeared at the White House to cheer on the decision by federal regulators to clear those Pfizer boosters for many Americans who had a second dose of the Pfizer vaccine at least six months ago. Uh, But then on Wednesday, after weeks of internal arguing, the Food and Drug Administration granted emergency authorization to Pfizer to begin making the shots available to people who fell into three categories— those over 65 who received their second dose of the vaccine at least six months ago, adults whose underlying conditions put them at risk of becoming severely ill with COVID-19, and frontline workers like teachers and healthcare workers whose jobs put them at risk. But then the CDC Advisory Committee met and departed from that recommendation. Uh, they excluded the healthcare workers, teachers, and others whose jobs put them at risk. So then Walensky stepped in and said, well, I'm going to override you, and I'm going to say we do need to get those people. So in case you're wondering about the consensus, many independent scientists and regulators have emphasized there is little research on who might benefit from the extra shots. So the FDA is still trying to collect data and find out if it's, if it's even effective at all. Uh, what else about the COVID? I covered the Walensky thing. Daily COVID deaths have risen to a new high in Russia. Russia reported its worst ever single day COVID-19 death toll today, Friday. Uh, so they don't know if these numbers are officially accurate, but they think that it's at least 300,000 people have died in Russia. As of today, the reported toll ticked up to its highest level yet, 828, after it tied the prior record, 820, just the day before. So officials in the Moscow region said they've set up hundreds of new COVID hospital beds. See, that's what you do. You don't shut down life. You just build more fucking hospitals. Build more tents. Add more beds. All that shit. So we should have done from the very beginning. Uh, anything else on here? Oh, oh, this is what I was talking about earlier. Remember I played The View and said something about how two of them tested positive? Yeah, Anna Navarro and Sonny Hostin were abruptly pulled from the set on live TV Friday morning today after testing positive for the coronavirus minutes ahead of a live in-studio interview with Vice President Kamala Harris. That's funny. None of the hosts were wearing masks on set. <laughs> They were all fully vaccinated. Okay, so it's nothing, basically. That's funny. And then they put her, uh, Harris, they put her in a separate room. So, and then, yeah, you heard the audio clip earlier about fucking them yammering about the horses. Yemen is now facing a COVID surge. The official COVID death toll there is about 1,658, but the situation in the country of about 30 million people is kind of hard to gauge. And then finally, according to the latest news out of Wuhan, 
Scientists in the Chinese city where COVID emerged plan to alter coronaviruses and release them into bat caves 21 months before the pandemic kicked off. This is according to leaked documents. Uh, Dr. Peter Dazak, you remember his name has come up. He had proposed working with a group of scientists from the Wuhan Institute of Virology to carry out the research. The experts wanted to genetically enhance coronaviruses and release them among bats in Yunnan. That's uh, about 1,200 miles southwest of Wuhan. In the hopes it would stop new viruses jumping from bats to humans. So they asked the U.S. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, known as DARPA, for $14 million cash, but DARPA turned the proposal down over concerns it would put, quote, local communities at risk, end quote. (laughs) Well, whoever you were at DARPA, you fucking nailed that one. Yeah, these documents were published by a team of academics investigating the origins of the pandemic. And this also comes after a whistleblower has sensationally claimed that China deliberately spread COVID at a military tournament two months before the rest of the world knew about the deadly virus. Ex-Chinese Communist Party insider Wei Jingsheng said the World Military Games in October 2019, two months before China told the World Health Organization about the first cases, could have acted as the virus's first super spreader event. Is there any doubt what happened here? Yeah. Of course it came out from that lab. Of course they were trying to fuck around with shit that they didn't have any control over, and it got out, and it got too big, and that's how it happened. I've seen enough. Did you guys see the San Francisco mayor, by the way? She was caught dancing in a nightclub, maskless, eating and drinking. Well, San Francisco does have a mask requirement indoors regardless of your vaccination status. And she doubled down. So she's a big hypocrite, not afraid of getting COVID. It's her city. It's her rule. She was caught breaking it. And then she defended it. She didn't say, like, sorry or mea culpa. She fucking doubled down said, yeah, well, I was having fun, so it doesn't count. Oh, okay. I guess apparently the virus takes uh, takes the day off if you have fun. Uh, she was interviewed here. Let's listen to London Breed. Here. I had a good time at the Black Cat. And I think it's sad that um, this is even a story. Um, the fact is... Um, there was something that was really um, monumental that occurred, and that is Tony, 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 the original members, the brothers, Raphael Sadiq and Dwayne Wiggins, who have not performed in public for, I believe, at least over 20 years. They are just really um, some of the most incredible artists in the history of this country and the Bay Area in particular, and the fact that that is getting lost here is very unfortunate, not to mention the incredible trumpeteer, Maurice Mobetta Brown, who is just phenomenal. These incredible musicians who performed and who really uplifted the spirits of not just myself, but all of the people who were there. And from my perspective, You know, I was there, I was eating, and I was drinking, and I was sitting with my friends, and everyone who came in there was vaccinated. Doesn't matter. That we have turned this into a story about being maskless. No, I'm not going to sip and put my mask on. Sip and put my mask on. (laughs) Sip and put my mask on. Eat and put my mask on. While I'm eating and I'm drinking, I'm going to keep my mask off. And yes, in the end time, while we're drinking, like everyone else there, 
we were all having a good time. And again, all vaccinated. So what? So the fact that this is even a story is sad. And it's sad because we're missing out on the fact that we have live performances. We in San Francisco have done an incredible job around COVID. Yes, we have challenges, but this is now a distraction. And I would hope that people would spend more time on enjoying San Francisco, of going to go see Maurice Mulbetta Brown, who's only gonna be here for another week at the Black Cat, and make the stories about how incredible and talented these artists are and less about something that shouldn't even be a story in the first place. So speaking of like live music returning, um, I guess there was also Metallica returning for a show at the Independent last night. Okay, let me just stop it there because it's too fate to... See, see what she does there? She just, it was Tony, 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 the band that she went to go see. But she, it's her rule. <laughs> like, you put the... It is a stupid rule. You're right. So why do you have it in place? Idiotic. Okay, let's move on. Is that all I got for COVID? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay, very good. Uh, this was interesting. Let's go to India. A defendant standing trial for murder has been killed by two men believed to be members of a rival gang who shot him in a New Delhi courtroom. Two gunmen dressed as lawyers opened fire on Friday afternoon while a jailed gang member was being presented in court. Uh, so, yeah, uh, all three gangsters are dead. No police will be injured. The guy who is appearing for court for being a lifelong criminal was named Jit Tender Goji. He was shot as he appeared in the Rohini court for a hearing. He was declared dead at the hospital. How about that? Dressed as lawyers. That's, that's good stuff. Uh, here's a sad story. I tweeted this out at Bravo Kilo Actual. A Special Forces soldier, a Green Beret, died during a water training event Tuesday this week at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. He was a National Guardsman assigned to the 19th Special Forces Group. He went underwater during a surface swimming exercise and did not resurface. Ugh. Hmm. This is, and it took place at a reservoir. It's called Fort Campbell's Joe Swing Park Reservoir. This is nuts, dude. Like, okay, full surface swim implies to me that there was no scuba equipment involved is usually what that means. And it's a reservoir. It's not like there's like huge waves. That's, this is nuts to me. We don't know all the details. Uh, so remember, he's the second Green Beret to die during water training. And I covered the other one that's uh, Staff Sergeant Micah Walker, who is a member of 10th Special Forces Group. And he was at... The Army's Special Forces Underwater Operations School, CDQC, Combat Diver Qualification Course, and he became unresponsive during a water treading exercise, and he died. Ugh, that's sad. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it's just, I, I don't understand. And the water treading exercise too. That's that's also baffling. That's rough. He, uh, the soldier who just recently died, is. And they, they have put out his name. I'm, I'm, unfortunately, I do not have it in front of me. I'm sorry to say. But this is the fifth fatality to happen during training exercises at Fort Campbell since 2015. Uh, the Fort Campbell is home to the Army's lo fifth largest military population. 
some of those other five soldiers that have died in the past six years were Jeremy Wells, an electrician that was killed during live fire training in 2018. There was another live fire training death in May 2016. A private died during a six-mile road march in 2015. And another private was shot and killed during an exercise in October of 2015. Very bad. And some very bad soldiers indeed here. Four soldiers assigned to Port Fort Polk, Louisiana, were arrested and charged Monday in connection with a shooting in the nearby town of DeRitter that police believe could be related to recent gang activity. The cops got multiple calls. They gave the police a description of a vehicle. It was located that night just outside the gates of Fort Polk, and the four soldiers were in the vehicle at the time and arrested. Police found five weapons in the vehicle, and spent shell casings. Oh, that's smart. This was Private First Class Quasier Watterson, Private First Class Trevion Cherry, Specialist Joshua Galloway IV, and Private First Class Tavon Williams. They're all being charged with criminal conspiracy. Yeah, you're looking at fucking going below the brig right there. And then also... This is a sad story. A VA hospital barred a veteran service dog, and then the veteran killed himself. Shitty. Yeah, uh, the inspector general of the VA is now issuing recommendations to two VA facilities, two VA facilities to improve care for mental health patients, and one of those is to get rid of prohibitive service dogs policy. Apparently, the VA Palo Alto Healthcare System required service dogs to complete a health screening, be trained in three assistance tasks, and wear identification. At that same VA, they do not permit facility staff to require health screenings or identification. So the staff is exempt, but the dog has to go through it? This report details a case of an unidentified veteran's death by suicide after receiving services through the VA facilities in Portland, Oregon, and Palo Alto. The patient was showing signs of suicide ideation, and he objected to attending certain appointments without the service dog, and the Palo Alto facility had service dog requirements that were way stricter than the VA healthcare system's official service dog policy. So this guy couldn't go to his meetings. He refused to go, and then he did end up sadly killing himself. They do not name him. So it's a very sad story. And speaking of veterans, veterans who are discharged from the military under the don't ask, don't tell policy may be eligible for full benefits from the Department of Veteran Affairs under new guidance issued on Monday. This comes on the 10th anniversary of the policy's repeal by President Barack Obama. So in a blog post on the VA's website, the uh, Assistant Secretary for Public Affairs said that veterans who are given other than honorable discharges based on homosexual conduct, gender identity, or HIV status are considered veterans who may be eligible for all VA benefits. The other than honorable discharge, has blocked tens of thousands of veterans from obtaining the full range of service and care. So now you can qualify for benefits, including the home loans, health care, pension, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> they just had to add this. 
the assistant secretary for public affairs for the VA who made this statement, uh, they also described as a bisexual veteran. Hmm. Don't ask, don't tell was a policy enacted in 1994 under President Bill Clinton that barred openly gay, lesbian, and bisexual individuals from serving in the military. The VA reported that the policy led to the discharge of an estimated 14,000 service members during the 17 years it was in effect. All right. China has cracked down hard on cryptocurrency. They have declared that all financial transactions involving cryptocurrencies are illegal. They also issued a nationwide ban on cryptocurrency mining. That's when you uh, use the computers and all that, that suck down all the power to create crypto tokens. And because of that, Bitcoin, the world's largest cryptocurrency, dropped as much as 7% to around $41,100 a coin. It has recovered somewhat since. This all just, uh, this story was posted today. The clampdown in China comes as the country's central bank has began testing its own digital currency, which is the electronic Chinese yuan. A Notice posted by the central bank explicitly called out Bitcoin and Ether, the two most popular cryptocurrencies, for being issued by, quote, non-monetary authorities, end quote. So the U.S. economists are saying this is part of the Chinese government's effort to channel citizens away from popular private financial services providers and if they have a state-controlled digital currency, that would allow the Chinese communist government to collect data and keep tabs on citizens' everyday transactions. And it would make it easier for the government to control access to an individual's funds. So in case you decide to, like, protest, say, the Chicom government, oh, they have a complete record of all your spending, and they can just fucking seize your bank accounts. The U.S. will be there in, like, 10 more years. Uh, let's see. Let's... Go to oh, this one. A Colorado man who was accused of having sex with a horse. Yeah, he escaped from jail. You remember you guys remember this story? <laughs> of course. I don't I don't miss too many horse fucking stories. Jonah Barrett Lesko, 25 years old, escaped jail Tuesday, but he made it less than a mile before he was caught. He was captured in by police in Durango about 25 minutes after he escaped from the La Plata County Jail. He was wearing only his boxers. Yeah, this is, this is the guy who was caught on camera, who was having sex with the horse at the La Plata Fairgrounds in the middle of the night on uh, June 17th. Oh, wait, here's a new nugget. Uh, the animal cruelty charges were dropped as part of a plea deal and he had been locked up on trespassing charges in connection to several burglaries. Oh, so the, the, the poor horse gets no justice here? Come on. Dude, he banged over. It's all on camera. <laughs> How could you drop? Dude, drop the fucking burglary and charge him for the horse banging. That's what you should be doing. It's horrible. Oh, I can't believe they did that. Uh, let's see. Another great headline. Mother and daughter charged with murder in illegal botched butt lift. This is in L.A., L.A. area. 51-year-old Libby Adame and Alicia Galaz 
she's 23, were arrested August 5th in Riverside, California, in connection with the death of Carissa Rajpal, a 26-year-old South African actress who had just moved to L.A. She, Rajpal, wanted to work in the adult film industry. (laughs) Well, she died at a local hospital hours after her third procedure at a home in Encino, allegedly performed by the women. The exact cause of death was determined to be acute cardiopulmonary dysfunction and intramuscular, intravascular silicone injections. They had presented themselves as plastic surgeon specialists despite having no medical training. They were injecting their patients with a homemade cosmetic cocktail of popular cosmetic chemicals and other dangerous substances. Yeah. Hey, ladies, here's a tip. If the plastic surgeon wants you to meet them at their house to have the surgery, fucking run, okay? That's just a tip from your Uncle BK. You can take it or leave it. That's all. Let's see here. Uh, let's do... Let me skip around. I'm starting to run out of time here a little bit. Uh, a lot of you guys sent me this one. A pair of gorillas shocked onlookers with an oral sex show at the Bronx Zoo. There's a great video of it. Uh, It is very normal, but it was a pair of gorillas, and one of them appeared to be giving oral sex on the other gorilla. (laughs) They They were all watching it. It's not the first time gorillas have been observed going down uh, with some sex activity at the Bronx venue. Uh, Several years ago, a guy on Reddit posted a raunchy picture that depicted two of the facility's animals embraced in what is known colloquially as the 69 positions. That's funny. Oral sex is actually fairly common throughout the animal kingdom. If you didn't know, I didn't know this. With sightings of species ranging from cheetahs to bears and bats engaging in oral sex. In fact, many species engage in sex for pleasure. Bonobos monkeys have infamously kinky sex lives. And bonobos behave as if they have read the Kama Sutra, performing every position and variation one can imagine, according to Steven Pinkerton, a professor of psychiatric and behavioral medicine. All right, going at it. That's funny. Bonobos are the only species besides gorillas and humans that have been known to adopt the missionary position during sex. Ah, fascinating. So all the other animals are doing it doggy, right? But uh, yeah, that's the only ones. This is a crazy story. An Idaho bow hunter finds the remains of another hunter, a man who had been missing for 53 years. The body of Idaho bow hunter Raymond Jones was found. Uh, is this today, Friday? Yeah, I think it's today. And uh, by another hunter. He was 39 on September 7, 1968, when he disappeared. He had been looking for mountain goats in this particular region in Idaho. And his body was found by another hunter who called the county police. It's not clear how Jones had died but the sheriff said the area where he disappeared was perilous because of the rocky and rough terrain. And uh, this, this, this hunter reported was he, he himself was looking for a shortcut. And the police identified the body as Jones when they found his wallet with his 
identification at the scene. Crazy. They originally searched for the guy. Two days after his disappearance, and a 70-person search party along with an aircraft were used. And uh, they just couldn't find him. It was abandoned. He was declared dead in 1970, and no further search efforts were made. And they finally found him. That's nuts. Uh, a lot of you guys sent me this one as well. Remember the Oklahoma cannibal who castrated the volunteer at his Oklahoma Airbnb cabin? <laughs> That he called Bob's Weekend Wonders. Well, he has been sentenced. 12 years in prison he got. That's right. <clears throat> that is Bob Lee Allen, 54 years old. He did castrate a volunteer with his husband before freezing his victim's testicles and talking of eating them. Now, his husband is named Thomas Evan Gates. He's 43, who handed Allen the surgical tools during the makeshift operation. And it's unclear if the couple has yet been divorced. I'm looking at pictures of them right now. But they did perform a castration on October 12, 2020 at Bob's Weekend Wonders Mountain Retreat on a 28-year-old victim who they found online. The volunteer still remains un unidentified. And the couple has obviously been charged because one look at them and you would know that they are not licensed to perform surgeries. Allen had advertised that he performed the surgeries and that he videotaped them for his own pleasure on his website called Eunuch Maker. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give you guys the same advice that I just gave the ladies. If the doc tells you, hey, meet me at my cabin so I can perform your genital surgery, I don't know, might want to look around comparison shop a little bit, but I don't know. That's up to you. That's up to you. Alan claimed to have six other people on their way to the cabin to undergo the surgery, by the way. Uh, eventually, as this guy continued bleeding and bleeding the original guy, they decided he really needed a hospital, so they dropped him off at uh, a local hospital. <laughs> That's great. Oh, yep. Conspiracy to practice unlicensed medicine. Hmm. Body of retired Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, 87 years old, is found in a freezer at a California home where she lived with her daughter. Miriam Travis, 87, was found in a freezer in her home's garage in Riverside on September 19th. Family relatives were worried about her whereabouts after not hearing from her in two months. So they asked the cops to check up. Police said Travis's daughter, known as Carol, provided incoherent statements on her mother's location upon their arrival. Yeah, I fucking can imagine that. All right, how about a few other good videos here? Let me see which one I want to do. What's that one? Let's go. Oh, here was a good one. Did you see this chick who went to the school board meeting to protest? So she, she wanted a book to be removed from her daughter's school. So uh, let's listen to how this goes. She's, they're calling her up March to the board. Stone. March Stone. Here we go. All right. Well, I'm just thankful that y'all don't have the ability to um, make a mask mandate. And tonight I was going to talk about the need for a second high school, but I was sidetracked by, for the boys, pussy or the idea of pussy or the idea of idea of pussy. A Mexican is a Mexican is a Mexican. Take her out back, we boys figured, then hand on the titties. Put it in her coin box, put it in her cornhole, grab a hold of that braid, rub that calico. You can find that on page 39. 
of the book called Out of Darkness, which you can find at Hudson Bend Middle School and Bee Cave Middle School. All right, not gonna lie, I had to Google cornhole because I have the game in the back of my yard. <laughs> but according to not Wikipedia, cornhole. cornhole is a sexualist slang vulgarism for anus. The term came into the use in the 1910s of the United States as verb form to cornhole, which came into usage in the 1930s, means to have anal sex. I do not want my children to learn about anal sex in middle school. I have never had anal sex. I don't want to have anal sex. I don't want my kids having anal sex. I want you to start focusing on education and not public health. Stone, you're on. Oh, they cut off her microphone. Are they going to cut it back off? No. Okay, <laughs> they cut off her microphone. How do you know what cornhole means, dude? Come on. She's never had anal sex, huh? Hmm. I'm just saying, Marge. Might want to give it a go. You never know. Maybe it'll, uh, maybe it'll blow your mind. <laughs> Jeez, these people. I can't. And then uh, let's do uh, this chick. Uh, she's claiming that most straight men are rapists. So let's say uh, here. I'm this here one to double goes. down on the video that made me go viral. Most men are rapists. And by that, I mean most cis heteronormative men. There's a reason we say we live in a rape culture. Most rapes go unreported, some even unknown. And the way rape is portrayed and glamorized in movies and media misrepresents what most rape actually looks like. Let's just look at the updated definition of rape so that everybody's clear. The penetration, no matter how slight, of the vagina or anus or any other body part or object or oral penetration by a sex organ of another person without the consent of the victim. Are you buying somebody drinks with the goal of getting them drunk enough so that they can't consent? Rapist. Huh. Coercing somebody into sex. Rapist. Guilting or manipulating someone into having sex with you? Rapist. Dating coaches and pickup artists have normalized this kind of behavior. And if you engage in any of those things, you'll be known as a rapist. She's like staring into the camera with these eyes like a she's she's a interesting person, but she's a ball to hang out with. Uh, quickly, almost out of time, you guys, but uh, a few headlines. Remember the Surfside condo collapse that left 98 people dead? They found $750,000 in cash scattered throughout the rubble. It's going to go to victims. That is a shitload of money. I mean, there weren't that many people living there. That's a lot. They found most of it in the purses and wallets and stuff like that. I mean, some of that has to be drug money. Uh, a convicted Kentucky priest is set to be released from prison after serving nearly four years for sexual abuse that happened in the 1970s. This is um, R. Joseph Hemmerly. He testified in his 2016 trial that he would sometimes apply calamine lotion to the genitals of children at church summer camp. Oh, Jesus. Oh, they always got a reason. The Air Force spent $549 million on planes for the Afghan military that ended up being sold off for scrap at a value of $40,257. <laughs> uh, dude, Afghanistan will just continue to haunt us. Uh, Kim Jong-un's sister, the North Korean leader, of course, said North Korea is willing to discuss ending the decades-long Korean War if South Korea stops its hostile policies, what she called hostile. Remember, that war, the Korean War, was just ended by an armistice. It was not ended by a treaty. 
So technically, the war never ended. Uh, the federal agents have indicted two Afghan refugees on child sex and spousal assault charges. 20-year-old Bahrula Nuri is charged with one count of attempting to engage in a sex act with a minor by force and three counts of engaging in a sex act with a minor. And the other guy is 32-year-old Mohammed Harun Ahmad. They're charging him with assaulting his wife by strangling her and suffocating her. And a complaint states that his, her, his wife claimed a soldier through an interpreter their husband had also struck their children on multiple occasions. This is, this is all acceptable, though, over in Afghanistan. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while, I guess. Um... Let me see. Texas boy, two years old, dies after accidentally shooting himself in the head with family member's gun he found at home. This is an apartment complex in Waco, Texas. He found a loaded gun in the relative's backpack, and he shot himself in the head. The owner of the gun initially took the weapon and fled. He later returned and was arrested on evidence tampering charges. Um, let's see. just want to get these good... Headlines out. An Oakland man has been shot dead while bringing food to the homeless in Oakland. Uh, Robert Heron, 55, was shot several times by a man he had never met. Let's see. This is, why you don't, this is why I don't fuck with the homeless, dude. Oakland recorded its 100th homicide last week on September 20th. At the same time last year, there had been 70 killings. Hmm. Spiraling downward. And they've got a big lib mayor over there, too. A decomposed body is found under the Coney Island boardwalk with duct tape around its mouth and hands bound with rope. Yeah, it was found by homeless people in the area. Uh, let's see. Do I have any other? I just want to. Oh, George W. Bush was confronted by a protester. He started screaming. Bush was at some event and this guy starts screaming. at him. Yeah. There he goes. <laughs> uh, they're still coming after Bush. Okay, guys. And then finally, I'm running out of time. So I have a twofer for your big finish. And a lot of you guys sent me both of these. Here's the first one. A 33-year-old man from Texas was left ejaculating out of his anus and urinating feces due to a rare condition but did not seek medical help for two years. He was passing a substantial amount of semen and urine from his anus. That's right. He <laughs> this is hard to believe. Doctors discovered that he had an abnormal connection between his prostate and rectum that was causing his urine feces, and semen to come out of unexpected places. This was published in the journal Curious, C-U-R-E-U-S, by physicians who treated him at the University of Texas. They said that the man's condition, which is called a rectal prostate fistula, is very unusual and tends to be the a result of surgery 
or inflammatory conditions such as Crohn's disease. Five cases per million are diagnosed each year. Uh, symptoms of the ailment are feces and blood in the urine, as well as urinary tract infections. But they did note that passing sperm through the rectum is a very rare symptom. Uh, surgery is required to patch up this tunnel, if you will. So they discovered that the patient was suffering from this problem after a CT scan of his pelvis revealed he had a gas-filled structure linking his prostate and rectum. This is crazy. How are you coming through your butt, dude? Wow. Okay, and then finally, second part of the big finish. I put this one out. Italian priests allegedly stole church funds for drugs and gay sex orgies. The Reverend Francesco Spagnesi, 40 years old, of Prato, Italy, who is totally locally known for his inspiring homilies. He has been placed under house arrest after allegedly stealing over $117,000 in church funds and donations for, yes, those drugs and lavish gay sex parties in his home. They're interviewing hundreds of people here, but they did raid his apartment. They found homemade crack pipes from bottles. He's a former medical student who dropped out of medical school to join the priesthood at age of 26. Um, he, uh, began stealing money after Spag, he began stealing money after the Bishop halted his access to priest funds. And yeah, somehow they were able to interview a bunch of people and at least two guys are alleged to have used online dating sites to invite guests to his home where drugs were used and sold. And uh, the 200 people that the cops are interviewing, they are all people who have attended his sex orgies at his apartment. So that's guys, I can't, the Friday podcast is too much. That's all I got for you. There goes the iPad and please guys go to patreon.com and look for BK actual and please contribute to the podcast. The podcast this week fucking just crushed it. Like the download numbers are just skyrocketing. It's growing more and more than ever. If every one of you donated a buck to the Patreon, I'd be making a shitload of money. Again, it's very difficult to get people to pay for content that they can acquire for free. That's why it means a lot to me when you guys do go to patreon.com, search for BK actual and make that donation. Help me keep the podcast going week in and week out with all the content you guys love, know and love. And I really appreciate it. And please follow me on social media, Twitter, Bravo Kilo Actual, Instagram, at BK Actual. And please go to SOCOM, at SOCOM, and listen to the podcast I did with SOCOM, myself, and my fantastic human of a person, uh, Scott, who donated me a kidney. Can't thank him enough for that. And guys, that's all I got for you. And I'll see you next week. <laughs>